Today on the show, we have one of my good friends, Kayla Raymond. She is a wife, a mama, a social entrepreneur, and a dreamer. She's lived in Haiti for seven years while establishing and growing a nonprofit alongside her family. During this time, she also founded a successful social business called Rosie's, but what she considers her greatest success is growing her family through adoption. Like many of us, she started on this nonprofit journey with one passion or vision in mind, but through uh, numerous experiences, some good and some bad, really began to shift her perspective and pivot into different roles. She's passionate about sharing these experiences and speaking out and advocating about orphan care, job creation, and reaching those in material poverty through holistic ways. Please join me in welcoming Kayla Raymond. Kayla has been my friend for, I I don't even know how many years now, do you think? Five? Well, I started, when we started working together, it was 2014 or 15? Late 2014. Math is hard. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> I, I feel like 82 just like blends everything together and like I have no idea like what yeah. when there's no seasons, you're just like, I don't even know. So what what year did you first go to Haiti? Walk us through like how all this even took place to begin with. Yeah, so I can actually specifically remember my dad went on his first trip to Haiti sometime in the winter of 2009 and he comes back and he's thrilled he's so excited and I can remember sitting in our student union like studying for some type of test I'm a freshman in college and he calls me and I just didn't really care about his trip I am all about myself and he's like and I'm gonna take we're all going we're going as a family this summer and I'm like yeah no we're not but okay (laughs) so we go that summer and I mean I grew up up in Iowa. I am that cliche middle class white girl, Midwest girl. My dad provided all me and my brother and sister the opportunity to go to college. I, you know, I had opportunity and education and all of those privileges growing up. None of that that I realized was even privileged. So I go to Haiti. I don't even know where Haiti's at in the world. And If you've ever been to Haiti, the second you step off the plane and out of the airport, like it's just in your face. The smell, the heat, the poverty, like there's no escaping it. So had you you traveled at all like before this, like maybe to like Cancun? To Mexico, but like to an all-inclusive resort. So I mean, this is really your first experience. First experience. And then if you've ever traveled outside of Port-au-Prince, And I can just remember being on this bus that is like so old. I don't even know if we should be trusting the driver. (laughs) The driving is insane. Where did my dad just bring us? (laughs) But yeah, it was that beginning trip where just the curiosity and my world Mm -hmm. opening up. And then fast forward to January, the earthquake happens. And so Mm -hmm. the world changes its eyes to Haiti and the whole scene changes And then my mom and dad get real crazy and they buy a house in Haiti. So the next summer I end up there for the entire summer. So had your parents been back like between that time or so they had only been to Haiti at like two times at this point. And they said, yeah, yeah, they went that summer and then they went over Christmas, bought the house or like agreed to buying the house. Earthquake happens the next month. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 
So it was on that summer I would have met at the time my best friend, Waybear, who is now my husband. So that was a good summer, just learning the language, the culture, spending time at our house. And then the following summer, I was offered a chance to go and train artisans and work with the jewelry company. This would have been the summer going into my senior year of college that the Lord was just like, this is where you're going to live. You're going to do this. Waybear and I would say that summer is when we fell in love and it <laughs> more than a friendship. I really just hustled through my last year of college knowing Haiti was on the horizon. I mean, can you think back to when you moved to Haiti? Like we actually had no idea what we were doing. No. I, and I really think that if we had known what we know now, I don't know if we would have still taken that path. I, know. So I always say there's this beauty in like being naive and young. Yeah. Like yeah. I had so much energy then. <laughs> 100% for the heat, for all of the hard times. Yes. yes. I move, I graduate from college and within three weeks, I put like any belonging I had into some tubs in my parents' basement, sold my car and moved to Haiti. And within a week of moving there, an orphanage was shut down and I took in my second son, Lovesin. My husband had actually already gained guardianship of our oldest, Jeff Tay. So I not only was fresh out of college, fresh to Haiti, but I was a mom, became a mom very quickly. Wow, to my wow. The adventure just started from there. <laughs> this is crazy. So this is maybe 2011 at that point? Was 2012. 2012. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so when you moved down, you, what was your plan? Like, what did you think you were going to do when you like moved there? You were going to live yeah. in the house and you were going to do so, what? Yeah. Good question. So by that point, my way bear, I'm going to stop calling him my husband. He has a name <laughs> way bear actually has this whole other story and he would be a great person to have on the podcast too. He throughout his childhood was given a free education. He graduates from college and he realizes so many kids in his village aren't going to school because the parents can't afford it. He starts kind of his own mission all on his own starts a school where all the kids get free education So out of our relationship with him, we started our nonprofit to do a small sponsorship program and to build one school building. Fast forward to today, we have over a thousand students in five school buildings. Wow. In the beginning, I just thought I'd help him with the school. And then I was going to work for this original jewelry company that I had gone with the summer before. I kind of, from the beginning, had my hands into job creation, working with women, but I really thought it would be more about helping at the school. I don't know why I thought that would be where I would do most of my work, Mm -hmm. but really quickly I saw every morning you could go to school and kids would say they have stomach aches. Well, it was because they hadn't had breakfast. And so this bigger picture of if we empower the parent, kids will come to school with their bellies full and then kids can come to be educated and being reinforced of how important it was to empower the parent so that the parent can empower the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started just getting connected with other companies that were doing job creation and working in the artist sector of things. And God just put on my heart and this vision to start a boutique in Haiti. And at the same time that I was dreaming this all up, I was also planning my wedding. Mm-hmm. Oh, also side note, we took in a third child during this time period. <laughs> My daughter, Wishla, came to us at 11 months old and mm-hmm. was at the time dying from malnutrition and neglect. 
I became a mom to three by 2013. There's a lot happening over the years. Lots to keep track of. (laughs) Right before our wedding, about three weeks before our wedding, my goddaughter, Rosie, passed away from acute pneumonia. Mm. And so it's in her honor that I named my business Rosie's. I got home from my honeymoon and I started looking for properties to rent. And by April, we opened up Rosie's Boutique. It's grown into way more than what I could have ever imagined when I started it. So originally, yeah, I was just buying from companies that were already existing. And we were kind of becoming this little tourist destination where you could get milkshakes and Diet Coke, which is always a big treat in Haiti. That's interesting. I think for a lot of us who've had the experience of coming into either a mission or a ministry or any type of humanitarian or social services, a lot of times we have an idea of like what we believe is needed, right? Or like maybe that's our, you know, God complex or like our American mentality of like, okay, we just need to get this implemented. Or if people could just do this, things would be so much better. So talk to us a little bit about like what some of those like pivotal moments were for you if it was like somebody you met and, or maybe when you started learning Creole and the women on the street would tell you, Kayla, we need jobs or, you know, like what were yeah. some of the realities that, that really began to change what you believed about missions and international work? So Vegas lesson actually happened in that first year of moving to Haiti. I had visited Haiti the summer of 2011, like over my Christmas break. Cause remember I'm young and in love with Waybear. So I have to get to <laughs> Haiti on every school break. I'm there for Christmas and every time I would drive through the village, these two little girls kind of up on a hill would like scream and jump and like yell, hey. And so by the end of the trip, I'm like, maybe do you know who those kids are? Like, could I bring them maybe just a small little Christmas gift? Just say hi kind of thing. And he's like, yeah, I do know who they are. So we bring him a Christmas gift and I learned that mom has eight kids and they're living in this one little room house and I said, okay, well, I'm going to be back next summer. I'll come and see them. So fast forward, I moved to Haiti. I go to reconnect with them. Mom is now pregnant. She's over 40 years old. She's had a stroke in the past, super high risk pregnancy. And they have now moved up into like this tiny little tin structure. They're all sleeping on the dirt at night. I can remember the youngest, Nashka, like having such a bad ear infection. She has like flies in her ear. And so at that point, I just jump into like what I call relief mode and I start providing food. I help Nashka get clinic help with her ear. I start taking mom to prenatal appointments. You know, you're just doing everything you can because the situation is so desperate. Mom ends up having baby. Baby is born, stillborn, and it ends up being like my first death I experienced in Haiti and was super traumatic. But in the course of time, I also raised a bunch of money to build them a new home. Mm. So we build them a new home and we had some leftover funds. So we used that money to help her like start a business. She always sold dried fish in the market, but it's a big thing. So I feel after like a year, I feel like we've gotten them on their feet. They're not living on the dirt anymore. They have a safe home. Mom is selling in the market. All the kids are going to school. And I remember visiting their house one day. The one teenage daughter like follows me out and she's like, Kayla, I really need a cell phone. Hmm. And I just like get pissed because I'm like, I'm not here to give you a cell phone. And so 
it was in that moment that I realized, okay, I think I'm actually doing more harm at this point than I am good. I think important thing is to recognize that there will always be situations where like relief work is needed. Like a hurricane happens, natural disaster happens, you're diagnosed with cancer. Like there's always those awful big events where relief is needed. Mm-hmm. But then I think we also need to recognize that we need to then move into seasons where you rehabilitate, you empower, you educate, set them up for success. But then we also need to get over ourselves and realize that at some point we have to release them back and let them like stand on their own. It's, I mean, the same with parenting. We don't just like shelter our kids their entire lives at some Mm -hmm. point we have to let them go into the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like my first biggest lesson that stuck with me. The point of all this work is that someday you will stand empowered, dignified, and on your own. Mm -hmm. Like Kayla's not going to be here to help every day Mm -hmm. or, and also teaching them to rely on God. Like I'm not here. I'm not God. So I think that that's my biggest lesson and something that's always important to talk about for people getting into this work is if you're going to be a good leader, it should always be with a goal to one day walk, be able to walk away that you've empowered them so much that they can do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. We talk about that in social work a lot, like help others until they can help themselves. And you're right. Like there are times where immediate intervention is, is needed, but more often than not, it's about development. And I think what a lot of us saw after the 2010 earthquake was that relief, relief is sexy, right? Relief is fun. (laughs) Relief is like handing out water bottles and it's that instant gratification to get things done. But it's because the need can be met immediately in that stage. Yeah. Then the hard work is like putting in the blood, sweat, tears as you're like empowering them. And that can go on for years. But I guess for me also, like I could have kept helping this family for years and years to come and just giving them whatever they asked for or needed. But that wouldn't have helped either any of us Mm -hmm. in the end. I think that was something I've taken with me as I've made hard decisions throughout all the years is how is this empowering them? at the end of the day, is it enabling them more or is it allowing them to be dignified? Mm -hmm. What types of like successes have you seen from even yourself and and Wayne Bear, like moving from the relief to development and to job creation? Like, is there a story that sticks out to you from Rosie's and even the products that you're now creating and the job skills that you're training? As of today, we employ 30 women at Rosie's who all hand stitch greeting cards for us. It's become, when I started Rosie's, I did not want to create a product. I did not want to manage people. I wanted nothing to do with it. Then that's where God is funny. And now he's given me this huge thing. But a cool thing that we did in 2020 was we actually raised enough funds to provide all 30 of them safe homes. So I also know that every single one of those families are like sleeping in safe homes, which is really important to me. Tell us about Uh, safe homes. Like what, what does that mean? So a lot of people might not know, they say that there's two Hades, there's Port-au-Prince Haiti, and then there's the rest of Haiti. Myself personally spent 
all of my time in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, but Kayla spent a lot of her time in the countryside. So tell us about what a safe home is and why it's needed. A lot of the women are the population, I would say, in our area are actually just living in like rented rooms or rented tents. So there's this constant just turnover of moving or being in debt to a landowner or a tenant of some sort, which I think is super unhealthy. Or they do own a small piece of land, but the house is made up of battered tent and tarp and tin and I mean, the living situations, I still, I don't, I just don't know how people do it. You know, there's no running water. There's no electricity. The mosquitoes are awful. And then here they are living in, I mean, they're just unfathomable. So like all the ladies at Rosie's, they're part of the deal with homes as they have to get ownership of the land and get the proper documentation to prove they have ownership. And then we raise the money, which we build two bedroom houses with a toilet inside for around $5,000. That alone, the cement floor, getting them off of a dirt floor where they would be sleeping on changes their health in a whole way. I mean, can you imagine sleeping on the dirt every night or when it rains, your house becoming mud and then putting a safe roof over their head where the rain is not soaking them. I mean, rainy season is just detrimental to them when, you know, their houses are flooded and every Mm -hmm. time it rains. Mm -hmm. And I always believe like when you sleep well, you can be a productive citizen. And just by providing that safe home and a place for them to rest every night, I think sets the children up for success at school and it sets the moms and the dads up for, you know, just the ability to go out and hustle during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, Building homes and providing safe homes is a really big piece of my heart as well. Yeah, I think that's good. And even thinking about like a lock on your door, if you're living in a tent and you're a woman and you have children, you definitely can be at risk. In Haitian culture, you know, when you see somebody the next morning, one of the first questions you ask is, how did you sleep? Yeah. And I used to think that was, and you, you know, I used to think that was, that was so weird. Why are people asking me how I sleep? And as the years went on, and, and then there's plenty of nights where you don't have electricity and you don't have a fan and it's like 130 degrees and there's mosquitoes everywhere and you sleep terrible and you wake up dehydrated and you have a headache and you're hearing things in the street you don't want to hear and you begin to like realize like you're exactly right like sleep has we're so spoiled in the environment that we have control over within the United States we get to choose the temperature with our thermostat we get to choose what type of mattress we want we get to choose how light or dark we want it what like do we want blackout curtains do we want a nightlight so we've never really had to to worry about maybe you know for a lot of us in middle class like how we sleep or how we didn't sleep but you're right like it can change your whole being and it, it affects like all of your um your mental health your physical health and you yeah know, everything well and their Haitians like daily lives are so hard to begin with they're fetching water to be able to cook and wash I mean every part of their daily activity is just physically exhausting yeah I think it can just come down to giving them that sanctuary that safe place to go to like that from, I don't know, it's part of the whole holistic picture for me. So, mm-hmm. so you in Waybear, so he has the school in the same town where 
Rosie's is. So have you seen like a change in the community? Have it like, what are some things that you've seen change around you? For example, like in Port-au-Prince, if we are employing people, people are natural entrepreneurs. Haitians are incredibly intelligent. And so they're not just going to, you know, take their job, take their money and like go home for the day. They're going to invest it in a little boutique and sell sodas out of, out of their house. So what are some things you saw change in the community from having both the education and the job creation? I think even just like this sense of like commitment to what we're doing. There were a few times where my husband had some legit death threats against him. And like the community was ready to like take some people down. Just that, yeah, this commitment to what we're doing. And actually last week while we were in Haiti, Waybear's project was to pour a cement sidewalk that connected all of our school buildings. The rain just over the last couple of years has really washed out our like school campus and it's really rocky. He literally canceled school for two days, but all the students still showed up in their uniforms and they're pouring cement, picking together all the rocks, just working together as this like large collective body to make this sidewalk. And then they're going on and on about how they're gonna try to plant grass and they're gonna landscape it. And just like this ownership of, like it's not Waybear school, it's like genuinely the community's school. There was this mom who had sandals on and she's like, pushing this wheelbarrow that had to have weighed hundreds of pounds full of cement and just like she was a boss and I think the same has happened at Rosie's I just always have said I'm like this place is your place it's not mine especially my Haitian manager has taken total ownership of Rosie's and the building and what it is as a whole so that's really beautiful to me. If people want to get in contact with Rosie's or maybe do some shopping, what are the best ways to find you all? Our website is full of stuff to buy, and that is rosiesboutiquehaiti.com. And then we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram handle is rosiesboutique.haiti. And then our nonprofit Um, which kind of features all the work that like our school is doing and our partnership with an orphanage that we work with. We're on Facebook for that. And that's touch of hope Haiti. And I actually just hired my sister as like our communication helper person. So we're really trying to just be posting more updates, being more transparent right now. I think it's hard because people now know that Waybear and I live in America. And so they're like, well, if they're not in Haiti, then how is all this work still happening? But like, it's still really happening full force, um, even though we're not there. So we're really trying to work hard at sharing all of that right now too. And I think with COVID and all the crazy stuff that's going on, yeah, just more important than ever to be transparent and updating people. That's awesome. And I'll I'll make sure to include those links on the show notes as well. What is something you would say to somebody maybe who's listening to this and who's always like felt that tug in their heart to, you know, go to a new culture or move to an inner city um, and work with a population that they're passionate about? What would be your advice? Would it be don't go? I uh, would say immerse yourself as much as possible. 
I never like had a translator in the beginning and I made a lot of mistakes and I looked really dumb a lot um, as I learned Creole. But I think that was really important for me to just learn that way. So I think the immersion, learning as much about the culture as you can without judging Mm -hmm. is important, but just like not going in with this like Western culture judgment mentality is important. I also think it's important to go with the mindset that first you're going to learn from them. I know I've done it myself and I've seen lots of other organizations do it where they're like, this is the best way and we're going to make them do it the best way, this way or our way without even asking questions of what do you actually need or what do you want? You mentioned it as we kind of talked in the beginning Haitians at the end of the day want work and they want their kids to go to school and they don't want to hand out or free things. Even just being a part of those conversations changed my mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there any final words that you'd want to tell listeners or just one specific takeaway for people that are listening today? I don't know. I think recently in this season, I've been really overwhelmed just because there's so much happening in the atmosphere of Haiti or in Haiti's atmosphere with like the gangs and the violence, but also in America, like the political scene and the social unrest. Like there's just so much that we could get caught up into. And I've just been reminded that it really starts with just small daily actions of what we can be doing to be making the world a better place. Obviously, because I am the owner of Rosie's, the next time you go to buy a pair of earrings or a piece of jewelry or you have a bridal shower to go to or a baby shower to go to, consider shopping fair trade. Consider going to Rosie's and making an impact that way. Like if we start with those small purchases and those intentional daily choices, I think that it can multiply and have big ripple effects in our world. That's my final piece and my push for Rosie's. (laughs) I fully support that. I agree. The dollar is power. And if we're going to be spending money anyway, we might as well be spending it on, on a way that is ethical and sustainable. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kayla, for all that. Yeah, thank you. For sharing your story. I know that people will be inspired by it as I was. Thanks. A special thank you to Kayla for taking the time to share those stories with us today. As always, all relevant links can be found in show notes at lapointfoundation.org. Kayla is also an excellent writer. You can go ahead and read her blog at kaylagruders.com. That's K-A-Y-L-A-G-R-O-O-T-E-R-S.com. And go ahead and shop at Rosie's website at rosiesboutiquehaiti.com. Thank you again for spending this time with me today. Until next time, keep on fighting for justice.